Uh, Acts chapter 8, and we're going to read from verse 26, and it's the encounter of Philip and the Ethiopian. Let's hear God's word. Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, Go south to the road, the desert road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. So he started out, and on his way he met an Ethiopian eunuch, an important official in charge of all the treasury of the Candake, which means queen of the Ethiopians. This man had gone to worship had gone to Jerusalem to worship, and on his way home was sitting in his chariot reading the book of Isaiah the prophet. The spirit told Philip, go to that chariot and stay near it. Then Philip ran up to the chariot and heard the man reading Isaiah the prophet. Do you understand what you are reading? Philip asked. How can I, he said, unless someone explains it to me. So he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. This is the passage of scripture the eunuch was reading. He was led like a sheep to the slaughter, and as a lamb before its shearer is silent, so he did not open his mouth. In his humiliation, he was deprived of justice. Who can speak of his descendants? For his life was taken from the earth. The eunuch asked Philip, Tell me, please, who is the prophet talking about, himself or someone else? Then Philip began with that very passage of Scripture and told him the good news about Jesus. As they traveled along the road, they came to some water, and the eunuch said, Look, here is water. What can stand in the way of my being baptized? And he gave orders to stop the chariot. Then both Philip and the eunuch went down into the water, and Philip baptized him. When they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord suddenly took Philip away, and the eunuch did not see him again, but went on his way rejoicing. Philip, however, appeared at Azotus and traveled about, preaching the gospel in all the towns until he reached Caesarea. And we pray that the Lord would add his blessing upon his truth. Amen. Now, if you have a Bible this morning, I would encourage you to open uh, your Bible at Acts chapter 8, where I was reading a few, mo few moments earlier. Uh, by way of background, because you re recognize that we've sort of come into the, the middle of this passage, but there has been a degree of persecution that is coming upon uh, the, the life of the early church. And yet even in the midst of that persecution, there has been tremendous opportunities as, as people have been responding uh, to the message of the gospel and, and they have been experiencing that new life. Philip, for one, has gone to Samaria. And if you notice, maybe verses 4 through to verses 8 of, of Acts chapter 8, where we didn't actually read, you'll see that he has gone there, he has preached there, and people have responded. And you will remember that the Samaritan, Samaritans had a bit of a 
uh, well, more hate than love-hate relationship with the, the Jewish people. They were regarded as near relatives, but if we understand that it's that type of near relative that you don't actually like. So that's the, that's the ones that, that we're dealing with here. And that's where, where Philip has been. And he has been experiencing a huge degree of success. And I mean, verse 8, you get the sense that there was great joy in the whole city. That was the impact that the gospel was having. So it really was reaching far and wide and, and having a, a great sense of, of blessing. Now, as we begin to look through this passage today, uh, there may be some aspects. Uh, I'm going to treat it perhaps in a slightly more devotional fashion. I, I'm not expecting that we're all going to get the same impact or the same blessing from maybe some of the thoughts that I'm going to, to raise here. But there are just, as it were, some points that came to me as I was looking over this passage and it may be that there's, there's some of these points or even just one that would have an, an impact upon your life and your situation right now. So they may sound a little bit random, and, but there are thoughts that have, have come to me as I've been reading through this passage. And one of those thoughts is what I see in this passage is what I've described as the focus on the one. And what I mean by that is, surely what has been happening in this passage is that who is central, who has been, where the focus is on, is surely on this Ethiopian man. And yet, before we get to look at this one individual, I want you to remember where Philip has just come from. He has come from a situation of wonderful blessing. He has been enjoying success in his ministry, if we might call it that. <clears throat> and then he gets this word from God in verse 26. And if you read that with me, it says, Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, Go south to the road, the desert road, that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. And I could certainly imagine Philip in that situation questioning, why? Why would I want to leave this place where I currently am and the success that I'm currently enjoying and this blessing that I'm in the middle of? Why would I want to leave this and to go to somewhere completely different? Why would I want to, to go out to the desert? But what we are sensing in this passage is clearly the voice of God, the, the will of God in all of this. And ultimately where it's leading, although Philip doesn't even know at this point where it's leading, but it is leading to one individual and it is leading to this Ethiopian man who's going to be in a chariot. And so we've got this focus that God surely has in this passage where God is, is focusing in, no matter what's been happening all around and, and what we might perceive as wonderful ex experiences and, and wonderful blessing, but there is still now a focus on just one person. And that's so often the way that the Bible deals with individuals, is that there is this amazing, wonderful blessing <clears throat> that can come to one person who is in God's sight at that specific point in time. If you remember, there's a story of a man who wasn't able to, a paralyzed man, the Bible describes him as in John chapter 5, who was at the pool in Bethsaida. 
And he was the one who tried to get into the water each time, and he kept trying and trying to get into that water, but he couldn't. And he always complained that people get there first. And yet when you read that account, what comes out of that so much is the way that Jesus, and it's described that Jesus looked at him, that one individual, the focus of Christ was on him. And that says so much about this sense of focus, this sense of purpose, and how God sees the individual. Jesus, again, there's another parable that Jesus told. Remember the parable of the the shepherd who had a hundred sheep and one of them went astray? And the shepherd, of course, didn't stay with the 99 that you might expect him to, to do, but instead he went and he chased after that one sheep and he came home rejoicing and and Jesus and what he's speaking about in, in that moment went on to talk about there is great rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents and we ask the question why would that one sinner repent and that one sinner repents of course because the focus the attention of Jesus is on that one sinner who draws him to faith and that's why I think at times no matter if you've been in church And no matter how many people are around you, hearing the same thing, the same message, reading the same Bible story or Bible passage at the time, but so many people have said to me, no matter what all was being spoken to whoever, whatever number of people was there, I just had this sense that God was speaking to me as an individual, that God was singling me out. This is what I'm meaning by this focus on one, and it may well be just now that this is the sense of what you're having, that you know that God is speaking to you, particularly solely you today about an issue that's in your life, and that is God's focus on the one, you. And that's one little thought that I was coming to from this passage. There's something I think that is equally important and significant, and what's in here is this sense of disqualification. You may, I could remember, it was Lance Armstrong, that's why I've got his picture up there, he was disqualified um, from all all his uh, gold medals in the past. But the sense of disqualification, what I'm going at here, is with the Ethiopian man himself, and to make matters a little bit more confusing than normal is that Ethiopia is not Ethiopia. Now, I know that sounds a bit Irish, but it's not the Ethiopia that we know as Ethiopia. This man came from what we might term South Egypt and into Sudan. But what we know for certain about him is that he was so concerned about learning about the true God as he had understood him that he was prepared to make a 1,000-mile round journey that would have taken him five months. So he's certainly committed. He certainly wants to know something, but from what we do know about him is that he would have been a black man. We know that he was an important man because he was in charge of the the wealth of the country that he was coming from. And he was also deeply influenced by Judaism. And the other thing, of course, that we know about him is that he was a eunuch. And that would have been common back in these days, for any really significant player at the royal palace is that they would have been castrated. It makes you wonder who would actually want some of these jobs. 
But here's a man who had taken the job and all that had come with it. But this sense of disqualification, what I'm getting at, is a spiritual thing, particularly then within Judaism. I want to read Deuteronomy chapter 23 and verse 1. Bearing in mind, this was a man who was interested in Judaism, but here's what Judaism has to say about him and all others like him. Deuteronomy 23, verse 1. No one, let's hear that, no one who has been emasculated by crushing or cutting may enter the assembly of the Lord. Now, that didn't mean that he couldn't be saved, but what it certainly meant is that when he came to temple worship, he was not able to enter into the inner courts where, where the other people were. He had to stay a little bit further out and he couldn't enter into the full enjoyment of his worship of God. He had, what we could see here, a blemish upon his life. And this blemish upon his life disqualified him. So that would have been a sense that he certainly always lived with. And where we see him here, and it's no bland coincidence that Philip just comes up to him at this point. And what we, we understand he's reading is that if you read in this passage where we have, if you look down to verse 32, and you will know where these verses come from. They come from Isaiah chapter 53. And what Philip does is that Philip is described here as taking these words and from these words and many other passages begins to show to him about Jesus and what Jesus has done and how Jesus has died, that he might be forgiven and new life can be found in Jesus and in the gospel. And if Philip was doing that and beginning at chapter 53 of Isaiah, I would find it impossible to believe that he didn't look also just a couple of chapters later. Isaiah chapter 56. And if I read from verse 3 here. And you put yourself in the place of this Ethiopian eunuch. And being aware of that feeling of blemish, that imperfection that is on your life that prevents you from worshiping God as you would want to, what we read in Isaiah 56 is, let no foreigner who is bound to the Lord say, the Lord will surely exclude me from his people. And let no eunuch complain, I am only a dry tree, for this is what the Lord Almighty says to the eunuchs who keep my Sabbaths, who choose what pleases me, who hold fast to my covenant, to them I will give within my temple and its walls a memorial and a name better than sons and daughters. I will give them an everlasting name that will endure forever. I mean, how different is that from being completely excluded and not being able to come near and yet this promise that in the gospel and what God had intended for his people, for these people, that you will have an eternal name. And so, you know, the gospel says to you today that you are welcome. You are welcome no matter what imperfection or blemish that you may feel is upon your life. Whatever it is that you might feel is your reason for being disqualified. You know, just yesterday morning, 
in my own Bible reading, I was reading from 1 Corinthians chapter 6. And in this passage, Paul lists a lot of reasons that people might feel, might give, as being causes for being disqualified. Now, we have, may have our own reasons, but here's some of the things that, that Paul gives. 1 Corinthians 6 verse 9, Do you not know that wrongdoers will not inherit the kingdom of God? So do not be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who have sex with men, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor slanderers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And that is what some of you were. But of course, it doesn't stop there. And Paul goes on, but you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. See, whatever you might see as a sense of imperfection or blemish or disqualification on your life, no matter if you think of it's some bad decision that you've made or some imperfect relationship that you've had or it's a, a persistent stain or sin upon your life or, or there's just something upon your life that you realize it's not right and you don't know how you'll ever get rid of it and it seems that God is blotted out from you, you know that in Christ, the grace of God is such that it washes over these things. Those disqualifications are gone. And yet another little thought that I have in this passage, surely, just noting in the manner in which that the Spirit of God sends Philip out, and this man is driving through the desert, and it just happens to be, you might say, that Philip, at the right time, as he was reading from this very passage, as Philip comes alongside him, surely we do have this sense of plan that God has brought to pass so that the timings are just right, so that God's Word is able to enter into this man's life in a way that is quite miraculous. And that's the manner how God's grace works in us. You know, well, I have another little picture up there of a perfectly laid plan. If you're into the far side cartoons. And uh, that may be how at times you see your life. It is like there is a plan and something has been moving and something has been happening. And believe me, that is what God has been doing in your life. You may have this notion that you became a Christian rather gently and easily and without too much difficulty. But for that to have happened in the way that it did, God had to bring certain people into your life. And he had to speak to you in a certain way. And he had to encourage you. And he had to bring so many little details in your life. So at that point, suddenly you think it's just, it's just something to do with you. I decided to become a Christian today. And yet you've forgotten what God has laid down and how God brought all these many different aspects over many different years and many people praying for you. So at that point in time, you became a Christian and entered into the fullness of the salvation. And yet that's God's plan for you, and we rejoice in that. Which, of course, begs the question, if you're not yet a Christian, and you haven't actually reached that point where you can say that I need to surrender my life to Christ and, and receive what God has in Christ prepared for me, what has God yet to bring to place? What has God yet to do to bring you to that 
one point where you suddenly realize that now is the time to commit yourself to Christ. Because God has a perfect plan for you and your life. I have another little thought in this passage, which I've described as if God gives you a hammer. And from this perspective, I want you to put yourself in Philip's position. Recognizing, and let's, let's put it this way, let's imagine that Philip is this bog standard average Presbyterian. Okay? And he arrives up beside this man who's reading from Isaiah chapter 53. And he's wondering what this is all about. I think that so many average Presbyterians might say in that point, I don't know enough about the Bible to be able to tell this man what this is about. Actually, I don't even know enough about all this Christianity stuff to be able to do anything for this man. What this man really needs is someone like Billy Graham who can come up and tell him what he needs to hear. So I need to go away and find somebody else who can do this. And yet, with this picture is simply a reminder if God gives you a hammer and he sets you in front of a stone and that stone needs broken, it's probably an indication to you that you are the one that God has placed in that point, in that very time, to do the thing that God wants you to do. And that's something I think that also we need to take on board from how we see Philip interacting in this moment because where he was, he knew that God's hand was upon him and this was something that he could do. And what is it that you could be doing? And my very last point, which I think is equally significant, is what I see in Philip as someone who ultimately was leadable. God does a lot of strange things in this passage. He shows up by an angel to start with, telling Philip he needed to go. At the end of this story, maybe your eyes have just glanced over that, but actually what seems to happen is that mysteriously, Philip is just taken away from that situation. And the Ethiopian was left standing there. And it says he saw Philip no more. So there are lots of strange things that are happening in this passage. But go back to where Philip was at the beginning and in the place where everything was going swimmingly well and it's going fantastic and he's experiencing blessing and he's doing God's work and he knows that things are going really, really well and he would so easily say back to God when God says, I want you to go out into the desert. He says, the desert? Why would I ever want to go to the desert? This is where it's happening. This is where I should be. I don't need to be doing anything else. And yet Philip does what the book of Proverbs tells him to do. Don't lean on your own understanding, but trust in God. And so when you look again at verse 26, what you notice when you read verse 26 is that God doesn't tell Philip what he's going to do. He doesn't tell him who he's going to meet. He doesn't tell him anything. He just tells him, go. I want you to go out that direction. So that means the next four words in verse 27 are really quite remarkable, aren't they? When you read those, it says, so he started out. Even though he had no idea what he was going to do, no idea of what the plan was going to entail, so 
he started out because God was telling him to go. He didn't wait until he understood everything, until he could see things perfectly. He simply went. When I was a very young child, I remember years and years ago, rooting around in some outhouses with my grandfather and seeing this wonderful rat trap. He was quite proud of his rat trap, quite large thing. Maybe it was, well, it has to be a good size to catch a rat, I presume, but a big right sort of semicircle top on it, and me all made of wire, all made very, very well. And I was mesmerized by this rat trap. But it was my uncle later on told me that actually my granda had never, ever caught a rat in his rat trap. And that's because there was a, de a design flaw in the rat trap. And that design flaw was the far end of the rat trap was closed. And a rat will not go into a hole unless it can clearly see the way out the other side, just for the fear of being trapped in from behind. So a rat trap that's got a closed door at the far side isn't going to work. And then I'm thinking about myself and yourself when it comes to following God, is that we're a bit like that rat in that rat trap. We're never going to enter into something where we can't see the final result. We can't see where it's going to end up. So our safest option, our easiest option, is just to stay where we are and not enter into the thing that actually God has prepared for us. And so what Philip reminds me of, challenges me about, is the manner in which he is so leadable. Because he doesn't know where this is going to go. He doesn't know what he's to do. And even when things have been going really well, he's still prepared to leave it all and do the thing that he knows that God is telling him and calling him to start. And you can't wait until you see the end before you actually start following God. And so God is working around you. God is working in you. God is working through you to do whatever it is that he is intending to do and what he's calling upon us ultimately is to be leadable. Let's just pause in prayer. Lord, there are so many disparate and diffuse points in the passage we've just reflected on this morning. And there may be some of them that resonate more deeply with each of us than some of the others. It may be that we're encouraged just with this focus on one individual and we know, Lord, that your focus is, is surely upon us, no matter what is happening to other people, no matter what you're saying to other people, is that you are concerned about us and your love is revealed to us in, in Christ. Oh Lord, maybe some of us feel that we have a deep sense of blemish or imperfection upon our lives because of 
some shadow that is being cast from actions in the past. And so, Lord, we confess who we are and what we are and our struggles and ask, Lord, that you would deepen in our own hearts the assurance that comes from the gospel of Jesus Christ so that we will know that you have perfect plans and you know exactly what you are doing at each and every point of our lives. And even though we can't see it and we struggle and we are even hurting, that, Lord, we rest in your grace. And if there is something in front of us to do, and you're laying something in front of us, and you're calling us to obedience and to be leadable, Lord, give us grace and strength and courage to do whatever it is that you are impressing upon us. Lord, speak words of truth and grace and love into our lives, into our hearts today. Show us, Jesus. Amen.